Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Ryan Lichtenegger of Steel Wheel Farm. Steel Wheel Farm is a first generation farm in the Snoqualmie Valley growing food to feed humans better. Ryan believes that growing good food begins with the farmer and strives to grow the healthiest food using natural, regenerative, and organic growing practices. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. So share with us a little bit about, you know, the overarching aspect of your farm. Yeah, um, I'll give you a little brief history. Um, I didn't grow up farming, but I found farming in the Snoqualmie Valley. Um, I started my farm in 2009 and have kind of grown into what we are today. Didn't really have much farming experience. Uh, ended up working on a farm in the valley and learned the basics of vegetable growing. Um, now in 2022, we, uh, we farm about 17 acres of mixed vegetables and grain. We have some livestock from year to year, and uh, we have a diversified sales outlets. So talk to me a little about the valley. What makes your valley unique? Oh, Michael, um, our valley is is one of the beautiful, most beautiful places and one of the most craziest places I've ever been. Okay. Um, as you know, we've had to delay our podcast a couple of times, but this last time, we had to delay uh, because of a flooding threat here in June. Oh, um, our valley regularly floods um, between the months of October and April, and rarely floods after April. So it makes for a really interesting place to farm. Mm. So talk to me about the flooding. Is it is it the river rising and just depositing new soil? Does it really wreck everything? You have to clean up the fields afterwards. Yeah, it really varies depending on where you are in the valley. Um, we're a little bit higher up um, on the in the valley floor. Um, just about six miles from us is the Snoqualmie waterfall. Okay, and it's like a two hundred foot waterfall. It's huge, and uh, there's no fish ladders or anything. Nothing can get above it. Um, but we're pretty much just below that, so we're a little bit higher elevation than some of the farms look further down the river. But when it floods, we see quite a high flow of water. Um, we go off. We kind of monitor different gauges during the flood mm -hmm. season, um, and then uh, determine whether or not we're we're going to flood where we're at. But you know, some areas of of our farm they flood and fill up like a bathtub, and other areas could uh, get washed out, and we could lose soil. Mm. So it's a kind of a, a new experience every year. It is, yeah, and the river is always changing, and the weather storms that the weather systems that come in bring different moisture in different areas. So the flooding is always different. Um, but we can kind of go off this gauge and figure out, you know, what CFS 
the river is going to affect our fields um, and the farms downriver from us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so talk me through then every, so with the mix you do of grains and vegetables, walk me through like the grain side of things. What is, is that for, do you mill them yourselves? Do you sell the, the grain wholesale? Yeah. So the grain is a, uh, it's a relatively new product that we've started growing and um, processing. Um, before that, we basically were just a vegetable farm um, growing cover crops to preserve our soils in the, in the winter. So I'm a big fan of trying to uh, minimize costs by saving seeds and uh, resources on our farm. And, you know, buying cover crops is a big expense and mm -hmm. saving our soil is necessary where we're at. So, you know, to me, uh, grains are super important for the rotation of vegetables and uh, the preservation of our soils. Um, so I'm super excited about this project. Um, we had an opportunity to co-lease or rent a combine harvester from a mm -hmm. farm down the road from us um, that they got from a grant um, through King County in the county we farm. And we're able to use the combine to harvest grain. This okay. just kind of started the ball rolling. So I'm like, all right, what can we grow? Mm -hmm. So um, talked with a, a grain outfit in Eastern Washington and they recommended a variety of red wheat that was kind of a fail safe variety. And I planted that in the spring um, three years ago and it grew great. We had our first grain harvest and, um, I saved, you know, 500 pounds of seed to plant, um, last year. So we planted grain again last year and then harvested that and we had quite a bit. So now we've got to figure out what to do with it. Well, this is where farming in a network of other farms is so vital and important. Um, tools are really expensive and hard to come by. And I can't imagine farming in an area where you're really isolated um, because we'd miss out on so many opportunities. But the farm I started farming on, Jubilee, they have uh, they invested in a German stone mill to mm. mill grain. So I have a good relationship with them. And um, the, the owner of Jubilee, David and I, we get along great. And we often trade implements or um, shared you know, information. Um, so it's kind of like a handshake deal. But they, they let us mill our own flour and um, I trade him seed in return so he can grow grain. Um, and that's where we're at so far. So we've just been milling grain and selling it fresh uh, every week at the farmer's market and people seem to really love it. So I'm looking forward to growing some different varieties of cereal grains and uh, diversifying even further. Mm -hmm. And what have you found? Um, so walk us through that process of when you're seeding and then what's the weed control like? Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, I've, I've only been able to, uh, plan on spring planted grains. Um, I feel like the winter is, um, such a crapshoot for growing any overwintered crops, um, just because of the flooding risk and the moisture that we have in Washington. I, I feel like it, I want to set myself up for success. So I plant mm -hmm. a spring spring crop of grain. Um, so far it's been all right. Um, we, I use an old antique uh, John Deere 10 foot drill mm -hmm. and uh, use my 1953 Oliver tractor and seed with that. Um, once it's seed, seeded and the grain starts to germinate, um, we use a uh, Einbach fold down tine weeder 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and run over that pretty much every opportunity we can on a weekly basis. Um, this year, it's been really tough. It's been really wet. I've only been able to tine weed twice since we've planted um, um, over a month ago. So the weeds look okay. They're, I have a feeling there's going to be some more weeds this year, but mm-hmm. um, so far it's looking okay. And then the, the post-harvest process, we purchased a, a grain cleaner that uh, uses air to separate the grain from the chaff and the other seeds. Um, and it works pretty well, but not doesn't clean the grain as well as I had hoped. So mm. we, have, uh, use, we have a use of a clipper grain cleaner down mm-hmm. at Jubilee. Yeah. So we bring our grain down there, do an initial screening and then bring it back. And then we put it through our blower and it separates the grain pretty clean. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the stone grain mill. Yeah. So we bag it up. Um, we've been storing it in super sacks in a shipping container. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, our, our valley isn't known for growing grain. So there's not a lot of tools um, at our disposal to move grain, to haul it. Um, so I'm trying to figure out a way to <clears throat> acquire different augers or wagons, um, some sort of grain bins, storage systems, because um, we don't really have anything like that around us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Now, and then talk to us through the sales. Are you selling it just as a pound, like bags of flour? Or are you trying to move through any um, like uh, bakers? Yeah, so um, we're not currently certified organic, but we are have the process underway and we have our inspection um, in uh, in two weeks. So I'm really excited about that. We've been growing everything organically since 2009 um, with a certification of being naturally grown. And because we're growing grain, I really feel, I feel how important it is to be certified organic so we can get the price we want for the grain. Also, I think it opens a few extra doors because there's not a lot of organic uh, grain farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think there's a huge demand for it. So we have been kind of reaching out to a few bakeries. We've had a few nibbles. Um, we sell maybe like 50 pounds of flour every couple of weeks to mm-hmm. a bakery in um, South Seattle. Most of our sales um, have been in two pound and four pound packages at the farmer's markets. And then we have some customers that are buying, you know, like a larger quantity uh, just for their individual families, which has Mm -hmm. been really great. Um, And I kind of, I see more of our sales headed in that direction. The home bakers, um, the folks that are just really into artisanal whole grain baking Mm -hmm. um, is kind of where we fit in um, at the moment. Our, I mean, our capacity to do all this is limited as we get into it. Um, and I expect to be more efficient um, over the next couple of years as we acquire some more tools and um, learn how to do it better. Yeah. So um, now are you going after that crop comes out, are you then going back in the vegetables? What's your, typically the, the rotation with the grains? Yeah. So this year we had, um, over the winter, we just left the crop residue after harvest last year. Um, and it, the clovers came up underneath it. We had a beautiful cover crop. And then we did a plow 
we plowed the cover crop in and then planted vegetables into that. Um, a couple acres are in potatoes. Um, we've got another acre in mixed brassicas and root vegetables. Um, we're a pretty diversified operation, so we don't do huge blocks of any one or two crops, except for um, really potatoes and bunch greens. So um, it opens up a lot of uh, opportunities to let the field rest and to retain some of those nutrients from the flood water um, and the biomass from the, uh, the plant mm -hmm. material. Would winter rye survive in your valley over winter? It would, yeah. All right. Because we find that obviously is a good thing because we use that on a river bottom back and we farmed in New York and had about, I think we had about 14 acres of river bottom, which would flood frequently in the wintertime. Um, and that seemed to hold stuff in. But the problem with that is it's very tough to terminate in the spring if you can't get to it in time. Right, right. We've been using uh, Cayuse oats as a winter cover crop. Okay. And I really like how the oats perform. Um, there's a lot of biomass a lot of straw and it seems to hold up really well with the amount of water we get. Mm -hmm. So let's talk through the, the vegetables then. So the vegetables are, are you selling them off farm? Are you selling them on farm? How does, how does that side <clears throat> of business work? Yeah, right now our sales are pretty much split 50, 50. Uh, we sell about 50% of our stuff at farmer's markets in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Right now we're at the university market and uh, Capitol Hill Farmer's Market. Mm -hmm. This year we started a little bit later because of the cold weather. Um, so we're just getting into markets. Uh, the other 50% of our sales come from a mixture of direct to customer, um, whether that's uh, food banks or individual sales uh, off the farm through our farm store or farm stand. And then uh, we have a wholesale account with a food hub they're a South Seattle food hub that specialize in buying from small local farms and helping market their products. And they're called farm stand local foods. And uh, their customer base is very wide. They have mm. uh, some new customers this year from Alaska that are purchasing some stuff from us. Wow. Um, so it's really exciting that our food's going up there. Um, they work with a lot of childcare centers, food banks, um, they have an in-house uh, home delivery program, so they pack CSA type boxes and buy in pretty large quantities um, weekly. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah. So for that, what kind of quantities they buy? In? I mean, like they're buying like a hundred bunches of beets at a time, or a thousand heads of lettuce. What kind of quantities on that? Yeah, it could be as small as one case, um, or like a couple clamshells of edible flowers to four or 500 unit count mm. of, gotcha. of some items. And with that, are they contracting beforehand or at least giving you like a, Hey, this is what we think we're going to use this year. Or is it just, you provide the wholesale sheet and they just start ordering. Yeah, it's pretty much, we we're, we're in charge. We're in charge of all of our own product um, through the website and we uh, monitor inventory and when we have new products. So each, each farm has their own marketing um that goes into the wholesales sales mm -hmm. um but basically yeah we've tried to do some crop planning with them and it's i think maybe in the future we'll be able to work something out but right now it's been pretty difficult to kind of guess 
um, we can look at our past sales and kind of say, okay, we, you know, we moved this many pounds of potatoes. We can kind of estimate what we'll move this year plus add on 25% more. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way we've been doing it. Um, but no guarantees. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Talk us through a little bit about like the management of the farm. Um, how many, how big is your team? Yeah, it varies from year to year. Um, this year, our, our crop plan was kind of geared towards more summer and fall planting. Mm -hmm. So we, we hired less right away this summer or uh, this spring. Um, but last year we had a crew of uh, four full-time farmers and three part-time farmers. Okay. Um, and then myself, uh, obviously full-time. And this year we've got uh, two full-time employees on our team and three part-time employees. Um, we're looking to hire a couple more folks to help us out uh, with our right. farmer's markets and some field work as the weeds and summer crops start coming in. Um, but yeah, this year has been a little bit different. Um, I've got a, a newborn, so our family dynamic has changed a little mm -hmm. bit mm -hmm. and farming is not taking a backseat. I'm still pretty busy uh, at the farm, but definitely focused on stuff at home. Um, my wife, she works part-time uh, doing office farm work. She runs the books, uh, does payroll, pays the taxes, um, does some marketing, the website, that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a full team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, do you have it split up where you have specific like area managers or do you all just attack whatever needs done that day? Yeah, uh, over the last couple of years, we've kind of been um, assigning more of a managerial role to some of our positions okay. that we offer. Um, right now we have like a farm, assistant farm lead position, which uh, that, that position really handles the day-to-day -day operations, lining individual crew members out with tasks, um, uh, taking care of harvests, uh, making sure the product gets packed and out to uh, the buyer. Um, we have a greenhouse lead. The person's in charge of all covered areas, um, getting stuff ready for transplanting and making sure crops are constantly being seeded on a weekly basis. Um, and then we typically have like a farmer's market manager, somebody to oversee the market sales and talk with the production part of the, the crew. Um, and then field crew. Uh, most of those folks work part-time and fill in uh, when needed, but we really share, I mean, <clears throat> the farm, the farm, there's always different things every day going on. And we, you know, every day is so different. And that's one of the things I love about farming. Mm. You can show up and you have a plan, but if the weather's not right, that plan changes. Um, so a lot of the roles overlap on the farm. But it, we found that it's really nice to have some sort of focus, you know, like somebody to go to a little uh, chain of command mm -hmm. um, and just some responsibility. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now walk us through like the systems. Are you planting on plastic? Are you doing bare ground? Are you doing any weed fabrics? What does that look like? Yeah, um, we run a, <clears throat> we try to do minimal tillage. Um, we use a Kubota tractor for most of our soil work. We have a um, tortilla spader and uh, we do use a plow and a disc 
for primary tillage and a spader for secondary tillage. Um, our beds are set up. Uh, we have three rows on the bed, um, 15 inches apart. Mm -hmm. So our bed top is about 40, 48 inches across. We do most of our planting on bare soil. Um, we do roll out some plastic mulch, um, our hot crops. Mm -hmm. We grow watermelons and some cantaloupes, um, peppers. Those are all on black mulch. We started using more woven fabric for some of our um, tomato crops and um, herbs, herb areas. But most of it is uh, grown right in the ground, and we use um, a couple of old farmalls to cultivate. We would use sweeps, basket weeder, and we have a kind of a belly-mounted Planet Junior seeder that we uh, just got last year. So we've been trying to incorporate some of that to do some of our seeding. Mm -hmm. So with your weed control, what? Um, well, first, what's your weather? Because I know that that part of the country can be typically pretty cloudy um is the summers clear so you guys can get out and you know get good weed control or is it more challenging man it's it's been so drastic i would say you know last year if you had asked me this i would say we have a wet season and then mm. a dry season and we can go you know four months without any decent rainfall um through the summer but we have uh, June around here. Uh, a lot of the locals like to call it January. And typically, I think like 20 years ago, uh, we used to have more common Januaries where it would stay about 60 degrees and it would rain just about every day. <clears throat> and we wouldn't see the sun until July 5th. And this year looks like one of those years. Definitely rainy and cool. So we've only had maybe like 10 hours of 10 hours of degrees over 70 so really? far this year. Yep. Wow. Today we have a heat index of 104 here in Ohio. Wow. What a difference. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. crazy. It's, it's, this is kind of early for us to be this hot. Um, so literally I came in I was dripping wet. Well, it was irrigation, but I was also dripping wet from um, just sweating. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's very different. Wow. That's crazy. I can't, I, I find it hard to, just, you know, think about how you guys end up getting stuff harvested. Well, crop done, because I mean, it must be kind of hard to ripen a tomato some years. You know, honestly, the hardest part is finding those windows of opportunity, right? So we have, yep, yep, yep. We have those plants that are ready to go out. And if you can't get in the ground, um, we're lucky. We're, we're not a big farm. So our tractors aren't super big. Um, we can get into the field. We're a little bit sandier and uh, got some nice, like some rolling hill fields. So there's areas we can plant earlier than other farms. Um, but you have to take advantage of those opportunities. Otherwise you may miss them. And I think this year there's just a lot of farms that are, are hurting because of this weather. Um, and not to mention, you know, all this moisture and cold temperatures to just spread disease. We've seen, we're starting to see a lot of plant disease, uh, powdery mildew, uh, uh, downy mildew, uh, melon blight. Oh, wow. um, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw tomato blight coming on, you know, in July. Wow. So it, it could be a really rough season this year. Um, if the sun doesn't come back. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do any tunnel production because of that or still anything out in the field? Yeah, we were able to grow in, um, 
I have one tunnel that was funded by NRCS and uh, King County, and it's yeah. 100, 150 by 30. And then we just put up another house uh, this spring. That's a 96 by 25. Mm -hmm. And then we have a caterpillar tunnel that we use, <clears throat> um, kind of rotate that through the farm. Uh, we have two propagation houses for our seedlings. And we've started to, to kind of use grow bags and pot stuff up in those, um, like herbs and uh, started some figs inside. Mm. trying to dabble in some in a few different crops yeah nelson carrot satakoi melon buffalo tomatoes megatron leek what do all these varieties have in common well they're all dinosaurs or varieties that were dropped by the trade for one reason or another so what do smart growers do well if they can they buy a bunch of seed before it goes out of stock and freeze it while they scramble to find new varieties that are going to work better but the problem is that eventually seed vitality goes down and the seed is no longer good. Is there anything you can do to revive the seeds? Well, introducing Ultra, an organic seed treatment, or as I like to say, a seed defibrillator. To back up a bit, we were able to get 20 kernels of what we now call Gill's Select, a rare Indian corn variety from Gill Sweet Corn Farm in the Hudson Valley. We grew it out, distributed it to a number of farmers, and then life happened. About a decade later, I found the seed at the bottom of our freezer and we took most of the seeds and try to germinate them in a greenhouse. Only a few came up. Not enough to have good genetic diversity. Last year, with only a few handfuls left and a Hail Mary attempt, I soaked them with Ultra for 24 hours, then struck them into some trays and popped them into a germ chamber. 72 hours later, we started seeing shoots. And this year, even with an eight week drought, we had a wonderful yield of corn. We sold some and kept back most of it for future seed stock. I'm confident that we wouldn't have been able to continue this lost variety without Ultra. Here's the best news yet. AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all thriving farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Go to smallfarm.solutions for more information. So um, do you have a specific greenhouse brand that you like or is it just kind of whatever you can find? Yeah, I really like Oregon Valley Greenhouse. Mm. Oh, they're local they're, to you too, right? Yeah, they're not too far away. Um, they have a really nice construction. We use the high, the Gothic high tunnel um, mm -hmm. uh, type of greenhouse. Um, we do get some snow and when it does come, it's real heavy and wet. So it's nice if it can shed <clears throat> some snow. Mm -hmm. So then, and then the Caterpillar tunnel, is that just a, is that one from them as well? It's a farmer's friend caterpillar mm -hmm. tunnel. I okay. think I purchased that maybe like 10 years ago and we still use it. Yeah. 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 We have about 20, 20,000 square feet, I think under cover. Um, yeah. Between everything, which this year, well, this spring we needed it because it was so wet and cool in April, but then obviously now we're, <laughs> we're getting the extreme other end of it here. Yeah. Now I need yeah. the shade cloth. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about the farmer's markets you attend. From what I understand, those two markets are pretty, pretty big deals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I started farming, it was my dream to get into the university farmer's market here in Seattle. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best markets, if not in the state, maybe the country. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really the the organization that that runs it is is so supportive of farmers and just that 
that support has been so valuable for us. Um, and we've been selling with them since 2013. Um, yeah, it's, it makes a huge difference. So we've we've sold at maybe twelve different farmers markets through our history, and I am just uh, really grateful to be a part of that organization. I've been on the board um, for a couple of terms, and I see how it runs. Mm -hmm. um, they do something really amazing, and I don't know if other states do this, but they definitely should. They they do uh, a fundraiser in the fall called the um, the Incredible Feast, and it's a it's kind of like a raise the paddle auction. Um, type event and they they pair the farmers that are part of the the farmers market association and uh, chefs and other kind of food businesses um, around Seattle and they open the doors maybe 250 300 um, customers can show up and we they do little bites and we display some product um, so it's this really cool like event where we share the food and we get to see like the farms and the the chefs like joining forces and, um, and they raise money uh, for the Good Farmer Fund, which helps farms with disasters. And boy, I tell you, Michael, this has, has been a, like a lifeline for our farm. Mm. Um, we've, you know, we've been able to get a couple of grants uh, because of collapsed greenhouses, um, crop loss, flooding, you know, whatever, you know, disaster strikes all farms. It's just a matter of when and what. So we've been really lucky to be a part of that that organization. Mm. So and with that 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 fundraiser, that's it's once a year, and then and then it's just is the whole purpose to get the, or what are the what do they charge for tickets? Uh, yeah, I I can't remember exactly what they charge. Um, yeah, I haven't been part of that process, so I don't know. But my guess is it's probably about a hundred dollars a ticket. Okay. All right. So they got a good ticket up the front and they asked people to donate as well to the, to the, the fund. Um, and that's in the fall that, so we used, they used to do up in New York, something called Feast of the Fields, which was through the local okay. land land trust. And that was obviously just a fundraiser for the land trust, but it was still at the local, you know, golf club and really ritzy and expensive, uh, fancy and fun. So, um, yeah, that that's cool. But I like how that you, that organization has done it to support the farmers, because I think that's super yeah. important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the farmers are the ones that need the most help. <laughs> yeah. We farming is really difficult. And I think, I mean, all the farmers listening to this know that it is, it's, it's probably one of the hardest occupations there is. And I mean, last weekend we were faced with the decision um, we had to make it, we got a notification it was going to flood. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's, you know, we're now into June and we just planted all our summer crops and mm -hmm. we could have, you know, four or five acres going underwater. Wow. What are we going to do? We literally, we had a 24 hour notice. Yeah. Um, so my crew and I are sitting around eating lunch and we're like, we got to pick whatever we can, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So we went out and we picked, you know, 400 pounds of kale bulk in plastic bags and we, picked 900 heads of Napa cabbage and threw it all in the cooler. And we're like, all right, at least we did what we could. And if it floods tomorrow, you know, we're going to lose a lot of stuff that's not ready, but mm. you know, we did what we could. And those are the kind of disasters, you know, and the stress I've never been, I'm not, a, I'm not a very stressed person. Um, mm -hmm. Farming makes you very humble and patient, but this was definitely the most stressful week I've had in my farming career.
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, is that something you're starting to see more occurrences of, of, of just uh, crazy weather? I mean, I know we're seeing that here in Ohio. Definitely some extremes. Um, we always expect the floods between October and April, but mm -hmm. I've never seen water. I've never seen water come over the bank in June. Um, and the, some of the old timers around the area, they say they've, um, 1955, was it? That was the only year they, they were never able to make dry hay in the valley. Oh, wow. Because um, it just was stayed so cold and wet all the time. And I yeah. think there is a record of it flooding um, around that time uh, in June, but a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what would you say is the, the biggest thing that you enjoy about farming? The biggest thing I enjoy is being outside. Mm. Um, I love observing nature, the plants being, you know, hands in the soil. Um, I just think it's the best office anyone could ever ask for. Uh, really noticing the world around you is so um, important and taken for granted a lot of times. So I, I love that most about farming. Yeah, yeah. Um, now let's say you could go back and start over again. What would you use your magic reset button to, you know, put in place sooner or change up? Would you pick a different place to farm? Yeah, that's a great question. If I had to go back and tell myself something, I, I don't know. I feel like my path was carved out for a reason. I don't know if I would change it all that much. Um, even though I have this love hate relationship with where we're farming, um, <laughs> yeah, I would say, don't be afraid to gamble a little bit more, plant more, try different crops. Mm -hmm. Um, we live in such a, uh, an easy place to sell food. We've got a lot of foodies. We're close to the city. Um, and I feel like with farming, a lot of times you're gambling. Mm. Um, and I'm not much of a gambler except for farming. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we've been able to sell really anything that we can grow with pretty good success. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my goal as a farmer is to grow as much food as I possibly can for people. Um, so I would, I would tell my younger self just to plant more, go for mm -hmm. it. Yeah. What do you see as the biggest mistake that beginning farmers make? I think biting off more than you can chew. Um, I also think setting yourself up for success is really important. Mm -hmm. um, what does that I went mean? In, well, I went into farming without having anything. I, I bought an antique tractor and that was, that started my path on the, on farming. Um, I didn't know what it, what it really took to, to farm. I didn't know much about irrigation. Um, I didn't have the tools I needed. Um, and it all costs a lot of money. So I think a lot of times you get caught up in the romanticism of starting a farm without looking at the realities. Mm. Um, so I think I wish I would have talked to more farmers um, to really get a grasp of like how much money it costs to start farming and what are the, what are my essentials? What do I mm. need? Mm -hmm. 
So um, you would have spent longer doing that. Now, did you have tried to like visit other places of the country and try to, um, you know, like learn from other places? Or do you think spending as much time as possible in your location is key? Yeah, I think I would have wanted to travel to other farms. I still do. Um, mm. I think that's super valuable. I, when I started farming, we didn't have this uh, this digital network of of farmers, which yeah. is so valuable right now. The podcasts and the online tutorials um, and the classes those those things are so valuable to beginning farmers and experienced farmers because the honestly the way f- farming is going is changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Farms are changing. We got to think about regenerative practices and um, how to preserve our land. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, kind of this evolution of, of farming. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now back to, to your, um, your, your fertility management, you said something about, you know, preserving there. Do you use a lot of compost or are you m- mainly just focusing on your cover crops for fertility? Yeah, great question. I want to use as much manure and compost as I possibly can mm-hmm. um, without purchasing uh, very much. So we we utilize um, some steer manure on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, we collect pig manure when we have our herd of pigs um, overwintered in the barn. Um, and then we, we have static uh, compost piles that we try to tarp and break down and spread in the fall. So it's a combination of cover crops and spreading the manure compost. I think animals are super valuable to have on farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it, it takes a lot of energy and resources to make compost and do it correctly. And we're still working on that. Um, and I, I just, I feel like this, there's a passion there, um, mm. but finding the time to do it is tough. Um, and then uh, the tools and equipment is also hard to procure. So mm-hmm. we use we use a an old um, new idea spreader that mm-hmm. was on the farm when we started renting. Um, it recently just broke, so I'm kind of stuck either fixing it or finding a different piece of equipment. But I love yeah. I love the manure spreader. I think it's such a great tool, and it it does mm-hmm. some pretty incredible heavy lifting. So what broke on it? It's a, it's an apron drive. So Mm -hmm. the the apron broke and, um, some of the the gearbox had been leaking for years. So it didn't have gear fluid in it. And, uh, it's like, yeah, I could, could spend money to repair it, but it'd be sure, sure. It'd be nice to have a new one. (laughs) Yeah. So when you say apron, is that the same as a chain drive or is that more of like a, a, a wall that pushes down the, 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 um, spreader? Yeah, it's got a chain drive, okay. um, series of bars and chains that yeah. rotate towards the back. Yeah, mine popped apart, and I talked to my mechanic, and he said the problem was that I've loaded it too heavy. Yep. And we have, well, our compost location is not, um, it's just dirt. We haven't put a slab in yet, and so that we're mixing a little bit. So when I clean up the site after, like I've gone through a whole mountain of it, I end up mixing a lot of dirt in that final sp- or two spreading loads, and that's what did it. Was just super yep. heavy. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> he said actually oiling the the wood on the bottom of your spreader was at, at he gave me that was one of his suggestions to make it actually slicker so it it travels easier. I'm, right. still tr- I'm still trying to figure out exactly what kind of oil I want to be using. On that. <laughs> so, 
get the vegetable oil out. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, I was thinking of trying to like putting some sort of like formica or something super slick at the bottom there um, right. to maybe that would help. But um, yeah, I've got a super old new idea as well. That's super nice. Um, and we actually modified it. So it only drops actually on the bed top. So we actually drop about a 42 inch wide, uh, basically, oh, nice. basically path of compost. And it will drop about an inch thick or an inch and a half thick, which is super nice. Um, yeah, that's great. We've been trying to do uh, a little bit of um, uh, permanent bed and no-till mm -hmm. planting mm -hmm. up kind of on our higher ground by our, our propagation houses. Yeah. Um, and so we've been doing some deep mulching and uh, doing some tarping up there. Um, so just experimenting with a lot of different styles of farming without diving too deep in any yeah. one direction. Yeah. Yeah. We were actually, we were using paper pot and we're thinking of switching back to just um, more landscape fabrics because we do biggest mix for biggest crop for us is lettuce. We do boatload of salad mix every week, um, hundreds mm -hmm. of pounds a week. And so we're just trying to, that's, that's the th reason why the paper pot's nice, but um our soil tilt is just not quite there yet. And we're super sandy. So that gets all over the leaves. And so it makes the wash process pretty much a lot. So. Yeah. We had the paper pot transplanter. I was really intrigued and wanted to give it a try, um, but it just didn't work for us. I felt like there were too many uh, dynamics and inconsistencies. Like I, I could pull the paper pot nice and straight because I'm mm -hmm. used to work walking in straight lines backwards on a bed, but mm -hmm having an intern or another farm worker do it just the same way was really tough. Yeah. Um, and I have a hard time, you know, hooking the rototiller up to the tractor all the time and want to try to steer away from powdering beds. And so it yeah. just didn't, it wasn't like really fitting what I wanted to do. Um, but, uh, so we sold it to another farm that really loves it and yeah. they do a lot of lettuce and greens and it worked out perfect for them. So we find it's fabulous in the tunnels. It works really good under our, our caterpillar tunnels, but out in the field, I'm thinking of, you know, just giving it up there because it just doesn't fit the system. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, well, again, it's, it's a constant evolution. Um, right. And, and yeah. And the other thing is what you just said right there, I think is a really key point is you can't be tied to specific tasks on the farm, or at least a lot of them. And, um, so that's the thing is I have to be out there in paper pot every week. And so that just is not going to be scalable for us that I have to do that every single week. Yeah, it's really tough. And, and I feel the draw to do all the tasks. Like that's, I think part of the thing about being a farmer is you want to do it all right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whether it's, you look at the seed catalog and you're like, yeah, I want to plant everything or, you know, you want to be the mechanic and the, and the, uh, the greenhouse manager, you want to do yeah. it all, but you, you just can't, there's like endless amounts of work and you need, you need people to help you um, to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got a uh, Barry who is our maintenance guy and Barry is super smart guy. He's got actually multiple PhDs and, uh, used to work at a nuclear lab. So super smart. Um, oh, wow. He, and, and like he came and tried to start working for us and he, uh, like he had to bug me for like six weeks to hire him. And I was like, at the end of it, I was like, Barry, you know, you're completely qualified. Here's the problem. I can't afford you. He said, you're worth, you know, again, a boatload of money, but he was fine with, he said, whatever you can pay me, pay me. He said, it's, I just need to stay busy. And uh, so he really enjoys it. We love having him, but he gets to do all the fun stuff, mm -hmm. 
which is fixing this and building this because I love that kind of stuff, but I just can't afford to do it. Um, but, you know, we work on, on stuff together sometimes, but like today he was building a door for a cucumber house because we're building a netted cucumber house. And I wanted to do that, but I just had to let him do it and go do the other things that I had to do because again, I can't do it all. Like you just said, all farms need a berry. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And he's our driver yeah. and uh, he's a saint. <laughs> so that's good because yeah. I, I lose the tape measure at least once a week. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> we have a retired guy. Uh, his name is Gary. He's at, he just turned 80 Yeah. and man, he runs around. He runs around so much helping so many different farms and he's my electrician, my awesome. fabricator, mm -hmm. my welder. He does everything. And if he, if he doesn't know how to do it, he'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's been super valuable. That's awesome. Um, tell me, what's your favorite farming tool? Yeah, my favorite farming tool, it's gotta be the forks on the tractor. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Being able to move uh, large quantities of food with the tractor is so valuable. And um, everything we do at the farm is just moving stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I just, moving I remind the crew like, we're just moving things all the time. So the, you know, the less we can move things, the better we're getting mm -hmm. at farming. Um, but yeah, we're just moving stuff. Uh, I think it's a important tool. Yeah. We have a bunch of IBC totes that we cut down. So we'll cut them down about two, uh, one third off the top. And that one third we cut off the top, we flip over and that becomes um, rock bags and row cover. And then the ones that have two thirds cut off, we'll use them for bulk fertilizer. Um, and that seems to work really well for us. And then obviously, you know, a collection of pallets and other things. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. And we've got a source for free IBC totes across the street from us. So oh, nice. yeah, they have a, um, a cutting oil in them, but we just, you know, scrub them out with Dawn really well and they're clean as can be. And then away we go with them. So yeah. yeah. That's a I feel like all, all farms could use endless amounts of those things and five gallon <laughs> buckets. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right well ryan i really appreciate you coming on today and uh sharing your wisdom and uh it's cool to see what you guys are doing there and uh, yeah when i get out your direction i will make sure i stop in thank you so much for this opportunity um i think we could talk about farming all day and oh, absolutely uh, maybe absolutely. we should sometime yes yes that'd be fun all right ryan thanks so much all right take care this episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.